All right. Good. Well, it seems like there is a little bit of anticipation. In fact, I love it. Uh, we have a full house tonight. We've had to add several rows of seats. So clearly there might be some questions or thoughts about this whole love, sex, dating, marriage thing. That's good. Uh, we are glad to have you here as we journey through this together. Uh, this is a thing that I have been excited about to, to, uh, to bring to and to talk about as a community for a while now. Um, excited because uh, there are a few things in our life that on the surface could seem not that spiritual or maybe God doesn't really care, he's not that interested, and yet have more uh, influence over our thoughts, over our emotions, over our soul, how we see ourselves, how we see others, how we see God. There are a few things that have that kind of power in our life more than this whole thing of dating and relationships and uh, where God kind of fits in the midst of that. And so as a uh, your pastor in this community and as a friend, I've heard a lot of the stories, uh, sat across from many of you at, at coffee tables and, you know, coffee shops and shared sort of some of the realities of what's going on, the good, the bad, the ugly. And we want to continue that in a very real way in our time together here tonight. We want to be very, very, very honest uh, about where sort of we've missed the point and where it is that God uh, wants to make things right and can actually make things right with us. Uh, the interesting thing is, is, as we look at specifically even the idea of dating and talking about that in church, that's a very interesting thing to do because uh, if, you, if you know kind of anything about the Bible, there's not a single verse in the Bible about dating. You can't find one verse about dating. And here we are talking about dating at church, right? And clearly there's like a need to talk about that. Because you know, the interesting thing is in the context of the Bible and the times that that was written in those days, there was no concept of dating. In fact, what was typically a, a practice was arranged marriages where you would sort of be agreed to marry someone else sometimes long before you were even born. And many times weddings happened at the age of 13, 14, 15, 16 years old. Right, So this concept of dating, having a show like The Bachelor during Bible times would just be totally unheard of because it would be about a 13-year-old. And like, who wants to watch a 13-year-old in the hot tub? That's creepy, right? <laughs> and so like, that concept isn't even in the Bible. And yet, and yet, the reason we're talking about this is because God doesn't just speak to some of our surface questions, questions and our surface issues. God goes in much deeper, as he always does, and speaks to the core of the matter, speaks to our souls with truth that is freeing, truth that is hopeful, truth, honestly, that can change the trajectory of our life. Truth, that at, at times, is very convicting. And we're going to have moments over the next couple of weeks where it is very, very convicting from God's heart. And at the same time, it's truth that's very practical that we can literally put to work like as we walk out of these doors. In fact, even before we walk out of these doors, that's why we're going to talk about this. Even though there's not a specific verse on dating, God has much more to say to the deeper things when it comes to relating to the opposite sex, marriage, and our relationship with God and others. And what's interesting is as I've been preparing for this time, and, and we've known that we're going to be talking about this for a while at Soul City, the interest level from others has never been higher in anything that I've taught at Soul City. And I've had folks email me and stop me after church and be like, you're talking on dating, right? Uh, yeah, in a couple weeks. All right, listen, I need to make sure that you're going to tell the guys to grow up. 
I need to make sure that you're going to tell the guys to take some initiative. Can you do that? Uh, you know, I feel like the band at your sister's wedding, like I, I'm like taking requests from you. I'm like, I, I'll try. I don't know if we can do that one. Like, you know, and guys like, dude, can you just please tell girls to stop playing games, man? They're playing so many games. And I'm like, well, they've been telling you the same thing, but they mean video games. So that's why they're saying grow up like, like that. There have been, there's been a lot of requests and a lot of interest, unlike anything else I've taught at Soul City. When we dove into the life of Nehemiah in the Old Testament, no one came up to me and said, can you please talk to them about the opposition that the Jews faced? Can you please talk about the hundreds of years of exile? That the no one came and asked me to do that. Y'all have been coming to me saying, please tell them this. Please tell them that. And if you get around to it, let them know that I'm available. Like, I am not... <laughs> I don't know that we'll be able to get to that, but together we're going to dive in deep to the heart of the matter, the heart of the issue that affects every one of us, that affects absolutely every one of us. So married folks who are in the room, as we're talking specifically to folks who are single, who are dating, these are principles. We're going to look at bigger principles that absolutely apply to your marriage. And I know for those of you who are married, there are, you have hit patches or you've kind of seen curves come in where you go, oh man, I wish someone would have told me about that before we were married. I wish I would have known that that was coming. And so you know, married folks, how important it is that we talk about this, don't you? Single folks, there'll be times where we talk about marriage and it may not seem directly applicable to you, but guess what? God is giving you a sneak peek. God is giving you sort of a look into his desire and his design for marriage. So pay attention at all times for all of us. We all want to look at the bigger things that God wants to teach us and grow in us throughout the course of this time, because this idea of dating and relating to the opposite sex and marriage, all of it is so complex. And the, the reality is for many of us is we are bombarded every day with hundreds and hundreds of messages, of uh, half-truths lots of times, of approaches to dating, of people's perspectives, of people's bad perspectives and bad experiences. And so we are literally bombarded all the time about what we think love and dating related to the opposite sex is supposed to be. There are thousands of messages that come to you, some of them verbal, some of them overt, many of them very, very, very subtle. How many of you, for those of us who are single, have already been to at least one wedding this year? There are messages that you receive, whether anyone's trying to or not, that you perceive at least, that you imagine that you usually go, okay, well, this is what it's supposed to be about, and I'm not there yet. And what does that make me? And what does that mean for me? No one's trying to do that. No one's saying that. But you're getting that message. It comes through all the time. The complexity of how we date these days, I think for many of us, arranged marriage sounds like an awesome deal. Like, it is so complex, right? Because now one of the new realities with Twitter and Facebook and blogs is you date in public now. You date in public now. Whether you like it or not, there's some profile, some about me page out there somewhere where people can learn, at least they think they can learn all about you. There's like the whole relationship status thing on Facebook is a trip to me. That literally, I have a friend who, who lives you know, pretty far from here and he'd been pretty serious with the girl for a while and they'd been dating. So we talked about their relationship and last time we talked on the phone, things were going great. And then I get about a month or so later, a little pop-up on Facebook that says, uh, so-and-so has changed their relationship status to single. That's very new now that that happens, that I get that information in public like that. So my first reply is to text him. How personal is that? Like, bro, what happened? Like, because <laughs> that's the kind of friend I am. So 
Like, we date in public now, and that's very, 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 very different. And so the rules have changed, the terms, and they're constantly changing. And as if that wasn't enough, being bombarded with thousands of messages, at times, direct lies about what love is, what relationships are, what marriage can be. Half-truths at best, oftentimes lies, bombarded with those. Not only are we dating in public and all this stuff is kind of being worked out there, at the same time, we have our own beliefs about this stuff that we project out into the world, into people we interact with, into people we date. And I think for many of us, we would agree that if we had to sort of narrow it down to some of our basic, if we were being really, really, really honest, assumptions about dating and relating to the opposite sex and marriage as well, there's two words that I really think describe not only just this community, but the whole scene in general. And the first word is me. And the second word is now. And I think for many of us, these two words pretty much sum up our approach, our impression, our take on dating relating marriage when it comes to how we interact with others, specifically with the opposite sex. That it is all about me. And we would never say this out loud. We would never say this to anyone face to face. But this is what we believe because this is what we practice. That I am looking for someone that meets my needs on my supposed timeline, my way. My list, it's all about me. Now, those things aren't all bad in and of themselves, but for many of us, we have become completely driven in this relationship thing, which last time I checked the math, it actually takes two people to have a relationship, but many of us have only been concerned with and obsessed with me. And friends, this doesn't change when you get married. Selfish before the altar, selfish after the altar. Saying I do doesn't make you a team player all of a sudden. Same stuff carries in, except now your selfishness is exposed exposed 24-7. You get to see it up close and personal. Married people, can I get an amen? Amen. Right? (laughs) Not only though is there, I think, in our culture and specifically within our church, a very sort of me-obsessed approach to dating, there is this concept of now with no sort of understanding, no appreciation No work to work through the past, either in my own life or the person that I'm interested in, the person that I'm dating. No recollection of that, no work on that, and no regard for future consequences. That the things you actually are doing with each other right now, whether you stay together or not, have an effect on both of you in the future. I think for many of us, all we're concerned about is me now. My needs, what I want, the way I want it, right now. No regard for past, you know, stories, pain, wound, all that kind of stuff in your own life, in their own life, not even paying attention to that, and no regard for future consequences to the decisions that you're making right now. So not only are we bombarded with a thousand messages, we are sending out there, whether we realize it or not, all the time, our message of me and now. And we wonder, we wonder, we wonder why this dating and relating and marriage thing can be so complicated and so difficult and at times even so painful. Are you starting to get a picture of why? And if this is all that it were, we would be in a sad state. If this is all that it were, just trying to sift through on our own the thousand messages we get every day and the messages that we send out to others, 
If that's all it were, we'd be in trouble. But thankfully, thankfully, it's not. This is not the end of our story. The dating scene as you know it right now, your marriage as you know it right now, is not it. There is so much more. So much more. Which is why we turn to God and we turn to God's word to see the deeper things that God longs to teach us. The deeper issues that God longs to work out. So if you would grab... Uh, the Bible that's right in front of you. We're going to dive into one of those passages right now. So right in front of your chair, there's a Bible. If you have your own, awesome, open that. If you don't own a Bible, this blue Bible that is right in front of your chair there, this is our gift to you. It's another gift. Listen, you get a mug, a pen, a Bible, a fanny pack. Well, not a fanny pack, but the point is we want to take care of you. So if you don't own a Bible, please, this is your Bible. You can write in it. We're going to actually do some stuff where we write in it. Uh, If you have your own Bible, you can open up. We're going to open up to a very familiar passage and I'm sure many of you have heard this passage uh, read at weddings. So I'm going to uh, ask this again. How many of you have been to a wedding in the last year? Just by show of hands. How many of you at that wedding, they read the passage 1 Corinthians 13? Right. Now listen, don't hate it. It's a go-to passage, right? For those of us who are married, anyone here married actually had that read at their wedding? You know this. We did too. That's right. It's a great passage, right? Strong stuff. We're going to look at that passage, but I think what we've been doing in the past is we've been overlooking a word that God actually has to use specifically when it comes to this passage. 1 Corinthians 13. In the Blue Bible, it's page 1061. We're actually going to read it out loud together. And so you can look at it up on the screen. You can look at it in the Bible in front of you. Uh, and we're going to read this out loud together, a very familiar passage, one that I think we may have missed the power and purpose behind when it comes to love and dating and relating to the opposite sex. Let's read this together right now. 1 Corinthians 13, starting with verse 4. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. Now we're going to hang out on this passage right now for a little bit. For those of us who've heard this read at weddings before or have maybe come across this passage before, my hunch is that for many of us, you hear something like this. And these words were originally written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth, a great church, a big church that had a lot of sort of influence in its area. And Paul was reminding this church at Corinth about what is the main thing. You can have it all figured out as a church. You can have it all figured out as a person. You can have your whole career path figured out. You can have your whole relationship sort of world dialed in as much as you see that you can. You can have all that going on. But if you don't have love, none of it will make sense. None of it works well together. So Paul is pleading and imploring this church to understand that love is at the center of it all. That love is at the center, specifically God's love is at the center of it all. And without it, we are lost. We are lost without God's love. And so I think for many of us, you hear this passage and you go, yeah, man, love is patient and it is kind. And we talk about it like it's this kind of ghost or this sort of like fairy love over here that, you know, like it has a sort of third person entity to it. Like, yeah, it's 
totally like those things. And, and, and we can subtract ourselves from the equation and go, yeah, love is like that. And I, I hope to experience that kind of love one day. Right? When you read these words, don't you long to experience that kind of love? Yeah, I hope to experience it. Maybe I'll find someone who's like loves like this or who's kind of like this. And I think for many of us, what ends up happening is you've heard this so many times at a wedding. And in fact, G and I were just in Miami for a couple days on vacation these last few days, a long overdue vacation. Let me say that again. We were in Miami at the pool a lot. And this has nothing to do with the message, but I need to let you know this. You would be so proud of Jean. She talked so much trash to the city of Miami for beating the Bulls. Absolute strangers got it from Jean. Taxi drivers, the guy at the Apple store, like everyone got an earful of how LeBron this and Bosch this and D-Wade this. And I'm like, sweetheart, remember, you are a pastor. Like, it, so I wanted to let you know she represented our city well. I don't know how well she represented God in those moments, but she represented our city well in those days. So we were in Miami, and we just happened to be uh, at, at this place where we were staying, and we had a very, very, very interesting sort of juxtaposition happening with us, because one morning when we were having breakfast, right next to us, they were performing a wedding, and guess what passage the pastor was reading at the wedding? This passage, 1 Corinthians 13, painting this picture of love. Now, the interesting thing is, at the same time, there was, if not the world's largest, at least the world's most obnoxious bachelorette party happening at the hotel as well. And I'm telling you, everywhere we went, we found one of these girls, if not all of them. They hive, they swarm together, and they were up drinking before I was awake. Like, they meant business. And they were, like, you could be at breakfast, you'd hear them. You could be at the pool, you'd hear them. You could be almost anywhere in South Beach, and you'd hear them, right? And so what was really interesting for us is to hear this passage that we've heard so many times and to have that juxtaposed with the conversations that we'd hear these girls having about who they'd been with and what they'd done and why this person's no good and why she's no good and she'll never have someone. And then the stories they tell, which I'm not even going to repeat, and we're just overhearing these stories. And both you and I at several points go, I wonder, I wonder, we ask you know, each other, it's like, I wonder if they've ever experienced this kind of love. You hear it read just a couple feet away at a wedding and then you see the lack of, the longing for this kind of love. And there can seem like there's a grand canyon chasm of difference between what we long for and what we experience every day when it comes to love, doesn't there? And the interesting thing is, I think what happens is we put this idea of love, God's design of love, over here as this thing maybe one day we'll experience or at least have read at our wedding, when the reality is, is that's actually the type of love that God has created you for. That's the type of of living, the way of living that God has actually created and wired you for. Now, those of you who are here this weekend and you're not sure about the God thing, you're checking this whole thing out, this truth actually still applies to you. Regardless of where you may be at in the God thing, he has created you and wired you to love like this, to love like this, that this is not something out there. It's actually something that God puts in here. 
And as we looked at over the last whole month in our Good to Grow series, God is calling it out of you. And the greatest way for you to literally to change sort of your perspective on the dating world, to change your perspective and experience in your marriage is not to try harder or to get at it or to to go to a new bar because maybe there'll be some better people over there. That's not the point. What God is saying is, no, if you want to grow and if you want to see the world around you literally change, then you stay as connected to me as possible. And this love I have for you will begin to grow out of you. In fact, I mean, it's just sort of true. My capacity to love well, to really love well, like 1 Corinthians 13 kind of loving, my capacity to do that is consistently contingent on my connection to God. Let me say that again. My capacity to love well is not going to come from myself. As nice of a guy as I am, as hard as I try, as much as you make a good case for me to love you or care about you, it's not going to come from me. My capacity to love well like this is consistently, directly contingent on my connection to God. The closer I keep myself to God, the more this love grows inside of me. And guess what happens? It starts to come out of me. And it isn't this third-person abstract concept anymore. It begins to describe me. That I become the type of person who's patient, who's kind, who never gives up. That begins to be true of me. And I love God's strategy because it isn't try harder, work harder, find a new bar, find a new set of friends, read a new book. All those things may be helpful. They may be helpful. But God says, look, if you want to see your life and your world change, you get and stay as close to me as possible. That's what we talked about all last month. You get and stay as close to me as possible, and my love for you will begin to pour out in your love for others. My love for you will begin to pour out in your love for others. This is my only hope at loving my wife, Jeannie, well. I cannot do it on my own. I cannot muster it up on my own. My only hope is God's love flowing through me and that I would become more and more and more like what 1 Corinthians 13 talks about. And here's the crazy thing. And I love the way God wires this stuff, right? Only God would think of this. Here's the crazy thing. Those of you who are dating, those of you who are married, those of you who are neither, here's the thing. The more that God's love begins to become a reality in my life, the closer I stay connected to him, and the more that that begins to pour out of my life, the more I begin to love others well, people will notice. And here's the crazy thing people will be attracted to that. It's a sneaky little thing that God wired up. Like the more and more I love like God loves, the more and more that stands out from the rest of this. The more I love well, like God has actually created and wired me to do, the more I stay connected to him, the more I will love well. The more I love well, the more others will notice. And guess what happens? People are actually drawn and attracted to that. Because there's not a lot of that going on in our world. And here's what else begins to happen. You won't settle for anything less than that. You won't settle for anything less than this kind of love. 
because it's such a part of your life, such a reality to your life. The closer you stay connected to God, the greater your capacity to love well, and you won't settle for anything less. And many of us in this room know what it's like to settle, don't we? Whether it's on a relationship, whether it's on a career thing, we know what that feels like. But when you see and experience God's love like this, others notice and you won't settle for less. Married folks, it begins to change the temperature in your marriage. It just does. When you love well, when you stop thinking just about yourself and what you need right now in this moment, and you begin to love like God has actually wired you to love in a 1 Corinthians 13 way, it changes the temperature in your marriage. And that spouse becomes, guess what? More attracted to you and wants to be around you more. Isn't that crazy? Isn't God good that he would wire it in such a way? And so here's what we want to do. We want to spend the next few moments asking God to make these things true of us. It's not going to happen outside of connection and closeness to him. It's not. That really is just the only way. The more I experience God's love for me, love him with that love, it will begin to flow out of me with others. So the closer I stay to God, the greater my capacity to love others. But we want to pray that God would begin to make that true of us. We're going to commit actually to doing that together. And so what I want to do is put this 1 Corinthians 13 passage back up. And let's remove this idea of love from being this abstract concept out there, this passage you've heard read at a wedding before. Let's think about it as a description of who you are, who in God you can be. And so I want you to look, see where it says insert your name? I want you to insert your name. There. (laughs) Follow instructions. And you think about what would be true if Jarrett was the type of person who never gives up. That Jarrett cares more for others than he does for himself. That Jarrett doesn't want what he doesn't have. That Jarrett doesn't strut or have a swelled head. Jarrett doesn't force himself on others. Isn't always me first. Jarrett doesn't fly off the handle. Jared doesn't keep score of the sins of others. That I don't revel when others grovel. That I don't take pleasure in the fl- that I do take pleasure in the flower of truth, and I put up with anything. That Jared trusts God always. That I always look for the best and never look back. But I keep going on till the end. What if that were actually true of you? What if that's how others described you? So what I want you to do is just take a second and quiet right now and to go through and to read that passage and insert your name everywhere you can and make it a prayer that God will begin to make this true of you the more and more you stay connected to him. So go ahead, take 60 seconds or so to read through that. Make it a prayer to him right now. You would be someone who never gives up that you actually care more for others than you do for yourself, that you're not obsessed with what you don't have, the body you don't have, the money you don't have, the apartment or house you don't have, that you don't strut around with pride and arrogance, that you don't have a swelled head thinking that you're better than others, better than you actually are, that you don't force your way, your opinions, your perspective on others, that it wouldn't always be about you 
first or me now. That you wouldn't fly off the handle irrationally angry at whatever happens to upset you in the moment. That you wouldn't keep score of the sins of others, keeping a private tally in your head of how much better you're doing than them or how much worse they're doing than you. That you wouldn't revel and celebrate when others have hard times. That you would take pleasure in the flowering of truth, which is what we're experiencing right now. That you would desire more and more of God's truth to become growth in your life. That you would actually be someone who can put up with anything. You're flexible, that you can go with what God and life sends you. That it would be true of you that you would trust God always. Always look for the best, that you would never look back, and that you would never give up. What if that were true of you? How might that change things around you? How might that change the dating scene? How might that change your marriage? How might that change what you're looking for or looking at in others? What maybe you've settled for in the past? Can you imagine what that would change if that were true of you? So that's what we long to be true of each of us, don't we? We long for that to be true of us. And thank God in relationship with him, it's actually possible not only possible, God kind of created you for it. He created you for it. And when a room full of people like this and a church full of people like this begin to stay as connected to God as possible, as close to God as possible, and this love begins to flow out of us, it doesn't just change the dating scene. It doesn't just change our marriage. It literally changes the temperature of this church. That when people walk in, as many of you have tonight for the very first time, you feel a sense of something you don't get a lot of other places in the city. Love. Like there's something special about this place. There's something different about these people. They actually like talk to me. They're actually interested. They care. Like it changes the temperature in this room. It literally changes the temperature and the trajectory of this neighborhood when we live and love this way. It doesn't just change dating. It doesn't just change marriage. It changes the world around us. This is at the center of God's heart for us. He loves you so much. He sent his son. And Jesus loves you so much, he gave his life. And the Holy Spirit loves you so much that he's whispering and speaking truth into your heart right now. And it's literally burning inside of you. That's the work of God. That's because God loves And it's the life and the kind of love he's actually created you for to settle for nothing less than that. That's the hope, that's our heart in this church, that we would help each other do that, that we would cling to God and stay as close as humanly possible to God and allow him to transform our lives so that we love well. So we're going to spend a few moments just living in that love with God, celebrating that love of God, marking that love of God. We're going to talk to and sing to the God of the universe, this God who loves us first, this God who sent his son like a, like a lamb to the slaughter, like a, a sacrifice, an offering for us that we could not do on our own. He did that for us because he loves us and he longs for that love to be known in our lives. And before we sing, and as part of we sing, part of our response of worship, we're going to spend a few moments 
um, receiving an offering. It's what we do. We give back to God. It's one of the ways we say that we love God. We do this all the time here. Lots of people do it in different ways here in this room. Some people do it online. Some people do it in the mail. But we want to say thank you to God, to acknowledge his love and his goodness in our lives. And one of the ways we do that is we give back. We say thanks to him. And so in a minute, we're going to receive that. If you're a guest here with us, listen, this time is not for you. Let the bucket pass. It's not for you. It's for those of us who call God our Father and call this church our home. It's one of the many ways we say thanks to God and that we say we love God. So let me pray for us. We're going to do that, and we're going to sing to the God of the universe and experience and express his love for us and our love for him. God, thank you so much that this isn't just an abstract concept out there, that we don't need another book on how to date better. What we need, God, is more love. And what we need, God, is to stay closer and closer connected to you so that we actually experience your love and that transforms us from the inside out so that we actually have something to offer others, something that is unlike anything else in this world, God. Thank you that your love is above, that your love is greater than, that your love, God, changes our hearts and literally changes the world. God, help us to have a new definition of love not one that is thrown at us a thousand times a day, not our own interpretation, but God, your definition of love and let your definition of love, God, define our lives, define the way that we love others, define the way that we live, God. Thank you for your love. We sing to you now, our Father. We sing to you, Jesus, the Lamb of God, the one who came in our place to demonstrate love for us, we sing to you with grateful hearts, knowing that you've spoken deep into our hearts tonight. In your name and because of your love, amen.